Hello and welcome to Ethosphere. I'm your host, Nathan Alex Orona, and I just want to say thank you for journeying with me today. This is take two of episode two. I recorded this earlier today, went back, was editing it, and it sounded like hot garbage. So hopefully um, I've changed mics and I had to pep myself back up and get back into the ethosphere attitude, and hopefully you enjoy the podcast today. This is episode two. This is a talk that I am calling In Light of the Shadow. So a lot of the themes are, are going to be similar to what you heard in the last episode, um, but I've chosen a different topic. So let's get right into it. Episode two, In Light of the Shadow. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. This is a line from the novel Fight Club, authored by Chuck Palahniuk in 1996, and then later brought to the silver screen in 1999. The movie starred Edward Norton, Brad Pitt, Helena Bonham Carter, and everyone's fan favorite, Meatloaf. The film also had Jared Leto and Holt McCallany one of my favorite low-key actors. In the last episode, we left off with God spanking Cain and telling him, telling him that he'd be all good if he just did what is right. But what the heck is right? I'm here right now making the argument that unless you align your goals and your desires with your values, You're always going to be lacking. You're always going to have hefty desires. You're always going to be looking to fill that divine void. You're always going to feel spiritually homeless. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be successful. There are plenty of morally bankrupt and spiritually bankrupt people who are successful according to fleshly standards. And this is why I've chosen Fight Club as my pop reference of the week. Fight Club just happens to be my favorite book and one of my favorite movies. I'll admit that my interpretation might be a bit skewed, but I don't really think so. This is a tale about thinking you've done everything right in your life. You've got your degree, you've got a high-paying job, the right living quarters filled with all the right stuff. And then one day you wake up to the hellish reality that you forgot to do one important thing. You never developed your true self. The authentic you is missing. You're a ghost walking around in a skin suit made by Prada, BMW, and Starbucks. In the story, the author does something pretty brilliant. He leaves the main character, our narrator, nameless and gives his alter ego a name, Tyler Durden. Tyler is basically what Carl Jung would call the shadow. He's what happens when your perception of reality and actual reality stop getting along. All the years that you thought you had the answer, you thought you were complete or something like it, now the demon you created has surfaced and is more you than you. For most of us, we have the shadow held at bay by some 
form of conditioning, and that's arguable. But our, our hapless narrator in Fight Club shows what happens when we turn our backs to the divine. Sounds familiar? Good. Just for future reference, when I'm speaking of the divine, usually what I'm talking about is something like the ultimate aim or a transcendence of our humanity. This relationship between Tyler and our main character translates best as an unholy trinity. Our referential trinity, the one we all know from, well, maybe not all of us, but the one that we know from the Bible is, of course, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Trinity is a concept that gives even the best of biblical scholars a really hard time, gives them a lot of trouble. The Father equals God and is what we should orientate, orient? No, orientate, no is what we should orient our very being towards. The Son is Christ, the figure that materializes in the flesh and in the Word, in order to experience what it is to be human, so that we might teach, so that He might teach us to overcome the world. Last but not least, the Holy Spirit is the bridge formed to link us between our humanity and the kingdom of heaven. The Holy Trinity is complex, but to simplify it to the best of my ability, I think it's as easy as, if you can say it's easy, let's say you have children. Well, as we've talked about with Cain, no one, no matter their age, likes being told what to do. So if you have a child that needs to clean up their Lego mess that they made in the living room, you can do what we are all guilty of as parents and scream, Billy, get in here and clean up this friggin' mess now. You have to make sure that you add the now or you know they won't do it. Good luck with that. You can do that and make it worse by throwing off the balance you are really trying to keep. You're trying to keep a tidy house. And this little monster born of your flesh is ruining everything you've worked so hard for. Or you can realize that you are the parent, and that is the God. You are the God figure. And as a parent, you are trying to implement a message. That's the Christ. And the message isn't just pick up your Legos. It's a message of order. We need order. And the best way to get your kids to pick up after themselves is to allow them options. Look, mommy and daddy have friends coming over, so after this episode, or whatever it is that they're doing, go pick up your Legos, okay? Time is, time is a restriction that we place on ourselves. Kids don't know time. You want it done now, but kids don't get why mom and dad are so stressed out. And if they did, they wouldn't care. What you want is to instill the value of tidiness. You want to instill that value into your child, but the Holy Spirit comes in under the guise of ambiguity, under the ambiguity of time. I promise you, if you tell your kid, hey, in 15 minutes, I need you to pick up your toys and, I'll, and then allow them 30 minutes, when you come back in 30 and say, hey, I gave you 15 minutes, it's been 30, let's get to it. They are way more likely to get things done. And that is what the Holy Spirit is. 
It's those hard-to-understand in-between moments that bridge what is right or what needs to be done with the message, the peace that passes understanding for those who speak Bible. In this scenario, the parent is our marker for God. The need to be clean and keep a well-kempt house is the message or the Christ. The child is, of course, humanity. That bridge between the child, the parent, and the tidy house is best crossed by appealing to the child's nature versus butting heads with it. That's the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26 says, and let me pull out my trusty Bible here. Forgive me, I should have had it ready. But like I said, this is take two. All right, page 649. 649, John 14, 26 states, But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. All right, so back to why Fight Club establishes an unholy trinity. For starters, the novel is riddled with religious reference from the first line of the first chapter to the first line of the last chapter. Tyler's pushing a gun in my mouth and saying, the first step to eternal life is you have to die. The last chapter starts, in my father's house, there are many mansions, referencing John 14 too. The dynamic between our narrator, whom I'll call Jack, if you haven't seen the movie, you won't get that. So go watch the film. I promise you that you'll hate it. Get back to me. Leave me a message at ethosphere at gmail.com telling me, how dare you recommend this movie to me? It was horrible. The dynamic between Jack and Tyler almost plays out like abusive lovers or overly competitive brothers until, until you realize Tyler and Jack are the same person. Tyler only manifests in small ways at first. He is only around when Jack is asleep. And so what does that mean? That means that Jack never really sleeps. And then he shows himself to Jack while Jack is awake and the roller coaster begins. In Matthew 4, Satan comes and offers a fasting Jesus the entire world because he knew two things. Jesus was in the flesh and the flesh is extremely weak, especially when it is starving. Jesus was well, equi well equipped, though. He knew three things. He knew the Word. He was the Word, but he knew the Word of God. He knew the Word was power, so he had power. And he knew that Adam had given Satan authority of the world. But he was there to reclaim that authority by handing himself over to the evils of the world, so that humanity might be born again of the Spirit. Now, what do I mean by he handed himself over to the evil of the world? Well, he knew Judas was going to betray him, yet he let him hang with the crew. He told his Jewish contemporaries, destroy your temple, and in three days I will raise it up. They were thinking of the material temple, took them, what, if I remember right, 40 years, something like that, to build. They were thinking of the material. Christ was speaking 
of the Spirit. He was speaking about himself. Eventually, Christ is taken in front of Pontius Pilate, who is a prefect or like a governor of the Roman Empire. And this is such an interesting encounter. I wish I, I, I could probably devote an entire episode just to this. Instead, I'll just read it, or most of it anyways. Let me turn to John 18, 33, 18, 33. Okay. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. And Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted, your own people and their leading priest brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, So you are a king. And Jesus says, You say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. And then Pilate says something so brilliant that I'll, I'll probably bring up in other episodes. Pilate says, and he asks, what is truth? And then he went out again to the people. So he's like, what is truth? Turns his back, goes out to the people. He is not guilty of any crime, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. All right. So back to our unholy trinity, Tyler, Jack, and who or what is the third part of that trinity? Let's begin on page 53, not of the Bible this time, 53 of the Vintage UK Random House edition of Fight Club, published in 2006. Our narrator says, Nothing was solved when the fight was over, but nothing mattered. The first night we fought was a Sunday night. I asked Tyler what he'd been fighting. Tyler said, his father. Now I'll direct you to pages 140 and 141 of the vintage UK Random House edition of Fight Club. These pages put my thesis into perspective and show a common light between the shadows. Jack is picked up by some thugs, affectionately called space monkeys. By this point in the novel, the Fight Club has metamorphosed into a nihilistic and destructive plot one seemingly created by an angry teenager. It is now called Project Mayhem, and it will end with a cleansing of the world's major credit and debit system. See, sounds pretty familiar, right? Sounds close to what's going on today. But this works to make Tyler and Jack a sort of anarchist or an antichrist. The devil using the flesh to carry out his needs so pages 140 and 141 have a wiry mechanic pick up Jack to escort him front and center to the downfall of civilization. 
once again, sounds familiar. So the, me- the mechanic lays out what Tyler is rebelling against. Here's what he says. Page 140 of Fight Club. He says, what you have to understand is your father was your model of God. When we look at this quote, it's something we it's something we really have to think about. It's not so black and white. In the Freudian sense, we are trying to kill the father to return to the mother so that we might build ourselves an altar of our own design, hence the Tower of Babel. We all see this playing out quite literally on a societal level as we enter into this third decade of the 21st century. Pop psychology, in a way, has successfully muted the argument that the Western family needs a patriarchal nucleus at the helm. An example that we've seen recently, within the past few weeks, um, was put out by the National Museum of African American History and Culture, where they displayed infographics critiquing what they called whiteness. And this critique of the Western family is, this is a concept that began during the second half of the 20th century and has now amalgamated with lower or with later stages of feminism in, I guess what you could call a battle cry to topple the big father. And who's the big father? The patriarchy, right? And, okay, so a patriarchy which is perceived to have long dominated the cultural zeitgeist, causing the stunted progression of women, minorities, and unironically, the men who participate, either knowingly or unknowingly, within that system. And I don't think those who are leading this charge are entirely wrong, but that doesn't mean that I think that they are entirely right either. Because they are running into the same problem as our anti-hero Tyler Durden. And that problem is absence. Let me finish for today. We're going to break this episode into parts. Uh, Let me finish for today by reading from page 141 of Fight Club. And we'll try to flesh out some sort of point before I leave y'all. The mechanic says, If you're a male and you're Christian and living in America, your father is your model for God. And if you never know your father, if your father bails out or dies or is never at home, what do you believe about God? This is all Tyler Durden dogma, scrawled on bits of paper while I was asleep and given to me to type and photocopy at work. I've read it all. Even my boss has probably read it all. What you end up doing, the mechanic says, is you spend life searching for a father and God. What you have to consider, he says, is the possibility that God doesn't like you. Could be God hates us. This is not the worst thing that can happen. All right. Thank you for joining me with the first part of episode two in light of the shadow. I will have part two of episode two posted next week. Hopefully Um, I may do a question and answer session, kind of like I did with the last episode. If I get questions brought in or comments, something like that. Um, 
You can reach me at ethosphere at gmail.com if you want to leave a question. And I hope to see you during the next episode. Thanks for journeying with me today and peace be with you. Thank you.